welcome back to another Ag Watchers. Uh, we've got a we've got a special guest on tonight. Uh, Matt is is running a little bit late. He's normally our special special guest, but we've got a uh, Andre Sizov from from Russia on. Hey, hi Andre, how's it going? Uh, hello Andrew, I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm I'm very good. C- could you give us a bit of a a bit of a background into into who you are and and what you do? Um, I'm in agriculture, agricultural analytics for more than two decades. Our firm, Solvicorn, we have been covering agricultural markets for more than 20 years. Uh, what we do now, in short, we're helping people to understand what's happening in the Black Sea and how ca- it can affect the world market. Uh, wheat, first of all, as Russia is the largest wheat exporter, it has been the largest wheat exporter for several years already. We're helping them to trade better, to manage their risk better, to get any new trading uh, ideas out of this region. What we typically do, we uh, help them to understand what's, ca- what's happening with crop, prices, S&D, experts, and regulation. All the things that could be important for the world wheat market. So it looks like Matt's, Matt's finally arrived. Matt, how are you doing? Good, thanks, Andrew. Apologies to the listeners there. I just had a little bit of a weather event at home, so just making sure all the chickens were safe, mate. Yeah, I, I could hear all I've heard today is wind and yes. a, lot of, a lot of rain, which hopefully a lot of that rain has gone out into the, the cropping regions. But I think we had uh, close to a bit of a flooding event on, on, on our hill. Our house is on a hill, and uh, I always get scared when it rains too heavily. So Andre, that's a, that's a good introduction to who you are and, and what you do. We, we do a similar thing, uh, but I guess we, we're focused on, on Australia. But, but Russia, Russia has been the forefront of almost every conversation when it comes to grains in, in the last couple of years. Um, like if we look back at the last, um, last five years, you guys have just produced fantastically huge crops and, and even over the last two decades. What, what is that down to? Is that, is that yields or is that area or technology? It's both uh, yield and area expansion. Uh, but uh, the biggest driver was at least in at least a decade or five, 10, 15 years ago. The biggest driver was transformation from highly inefficient planned economy when the farmers had no right to produce whatever they want. And they obviously had, they, nobody owned land and was God's plan, a Soviet uh, organization, which was buying at fixed price and telling farmers what to grow. It was highly inefficient. In 90s, after the collapse of the USSR, uh, agriculture also collapsed. But uh, in early 90s, and starting from end of 90s, the lowest crop was produced in 1998. It was only, as I recall, 48 million tons of total grains. I think it was around 30 million tons, something like that. But after that, was the low, it was the minimum. And after that, the production, at least average production, started to grow. Uh, when in, in some regions, 
uh, ARI has declined uh, substantially, while in uh, other regions like south of Russia and central Russia, now we're planting even more than um, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. So, uh, but overall, so it was a huge decline of uh, area, then it started to grow gradually, but the biggest driver was uh, uh, increase of average yields. Okay. Uh, also, Russia, uh, Russian crops industry was, and I think still is, a big beneficiary of global warming. We, in, in recent two decades, we started to have much milder winters. And uh, that led to the fact that we started to plant way more winter wheat. So total array doesn't, it didn't change significantly, but the share of winter wheat uh, grew tremendously. And now we're planting way more winter wheat than spring wheat. Uh, 10, 20 years ago, it was vice versa. Actually, we started to plant more winter wheat just, I think, two or three years ago. And obviously it's uh, from a total production point of view, it's pretty important because uh, in Russia, average winter wheat yield is roughly two times higher than uh, spring varieties. Two times. Around four, four tons uh, compared to two tons uh, per hectare. Yeah. So that, that you actually stole one of my questions. Sorry. I was going to say, uh, have you be, how, has climate change helped? And you've 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 answered that, so so yeah. So just to clarify that, Andre. So it's actually an opening up of land because of the temperature. Not so much like the rainfall aspect is is less relevant. It's more that the temperature is more favourable during that winter time. It's not as harsh. Yeah, temperatures. If I if we talk about climate, temperatures are uh, very important and so it's getting warmer uh, everywhere as we know uh, but in Russia it's getting warmer even faster than uh, than the average uh, pace for the whole world but at the same time fortunately for Russia it mainly means that we have uh, it's not summers it's winters which are getting warmer and that's why yep. less winter kill and that's why for example Volga Valley that's the region it's in the uh, eastern part of European Russia before the Urals, it became like 20 years ago, it was mainly spring wheat. It was the region where it is very noticeable, but now it's mainly uh, winter wheat because it was, wind kill was killing everything mm. uh, 20 years ago and it's not the case anymore. That's really quite interesting because when we look at Australia, yeah. we're probably quite the opposite and that the projections with climate change are, are not positive for, for long-term grain production. Yeah. And if, if the, the worst-case scenarios or even the medium-case scenarios eventuate, it would lead to a lot of cropping area being removed and, and potentially moved back to more of a, more of a livestock marginal area for, for sheep and, and cattle. Yeah. Yeah. So... I guess my, my other question for you, and I've, I've learned a lot from this already, which is good. Uh, in terms of, in, in Russia, we've seen this large expansion of, of production, but what about grain consumption in Australia, in, in, in Russia, sorry? Is, uh, what, what, what is consumption doing? Is it increasing or? 
Uh, it's increasing. So yeah, if we talk about experts, there are obviously uh, two factors which um, which are relevant: production and domestic consumption. Uh, it has been relatively stable compared to production. In fact, it's grown especially in uh, recent several years, but at relatively slow, uh, at relatively um, slow pace. Uh, so, uh, so one thing has happened. We talked about that already a little bit in crops, but livestock it it went through a big transformation as well, probably even bigger than crops. It began began to recover later than crops because everything takes more time in livestock. But still, uh, twin, uh, around 20 years ago, uh, livestock, well, 20 and 15 years ago, livestock began to recover uh, total production, animal um, units number of heads began to grow. Uh, meat and poultry output began to grow. But at the same time, during all that time, the domestic consumption was relatively flat uh, feed consumption because yeah. uh, the feed conversion ratios were getting better all the time. So yeah. despite bigger meat output, uh, consumption was relatively flat. So now it's, it's uh, relatively close, for example, to what they you have in terms of feed conversion ratios, which is pretty good compared to what we had 20 years ago. So uh, further expansion of meat industry implies a further increase of uh, feed consumption. And it's happening now, but it's again, it's happening relatively slow, plus two, three percent, I think, uh, per year, not more than that, and while production grows faster. Uh, if you talk about food consumption, it's relatively flat, so no big changes there. In terms of just, I know, I know livestock's not your, your main area, but I'll just ask another one. What is the main livestock industry in Russia? Is it, is it cattle or pigs or? It's poultry. Poultry, it's poultry. okay. Yeah, in terms of consumption per capita, the biggest share is poultry, then it's uh, pork, and then it's beef. Beef consumption collapsed since 90s. It was the biggest uh, source of uh, protein in Soviet times. It was extremely inefficient industry. It was so-called, you know, in a world you typically have uh, dairy cows or beef cattle. In Soviet Russia, in, in the USSR, it was an uh, experiment that tried to build, uh, to breed new, not right, this new, how do you call it, new type of animals which which were supposed to produce, uh, produce a lot of milk and a lot of beef, and they failed. Because actually, uh, other countries tried to do that, but uh, ditched that idea like 50 years ago. Almost and like a, a hybrid, almost like a hybrid type animal that can do both very well, but ended up doing both poorly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now it's uh, both uh, dairy and beef. Uh, uh, Satins are growing in Russia, there is growing around to 3%. Poultry is now stagnating, uh, is there is a, actually some overproduction, but we're not cheap enough to be really competitive compared to large guys like Brazil, for example. Uh, the fastest growing sector now is pork. It's still growing pretty fast, around plus, plus 4-5% in recent years. 
And I think that soon, very soon, they would face uh, some overproduction issues. Again, the domestic market can't consume more. We actually we are relatively big meat eaters compared to our disposable income. But again, we are not cheap enough to compete with guys like, like the EU or Brazil or larger or other large exporters. Yeah. So on, on, to, on to this year. This year has been a really interesting year in Russia. And I, like I, I was looking at, I was talking to somebody today and I was looking back to early July uh, in there was a lot of people believing that the crop was going to be pretty poor in, in Russia. There was a lot of expectations of it being a, a 75 and below for, from, yeah. from some forecasters, but, but you guys, uh, you, you've, you've, We've, we've followed you from the outside for a while and you always tend to have very accurate um, uh, forecasts, which is probably due to the fact that you're actually there, which is helpful. And no. you're, not, you're not looking at it from Australia or the US. But uh, I was interested to see from your point of view why the, the yields, why the forecasts really were, were so wide at that point. You know, some of the forecasts were, let's call it 75 million tonnes. To, to your forecast, which was closer to the sort of 80 and, and above million tons. Yeah, uh, so all this year, almost all we were uh, above 80 million tons, slightly uh, below 80, I think a few, around a month ago, but still was 79.3, I think that was the lowest number. Uh, so, uh, so I think it's quite common that there are lots of um, different forecasts for Russian in, uh, and there have been a lot of very different forecasts in recent years. So that's good for us because we're relatively good crop forecasters and that happened again, looks like it's happening. Uh, this year, uh, probably one of the biggest mistakes uh, that uh, many companies and many forecasters are doing, actually including Russian ones, local ones, that they tend to underestimate area and the wheat. So people uh, always look, not always, but probably 80-90% of cases they look at part of equation uh, yields, and but they take that number, another number, area, that it's actually, that it's well known, they, they take it from USDA or from a Russian Ministry of Agriculture. Actually, USDA takes it from Russian Ministry of Agriculture and just convert it because they use a harvested area while uh, a Russian Ministry of Agriculture it, uh, releases state on planted area. So uh, at the end of the day, they use those official numbers and those official numbers, I would say, are almost always too low. We know how to convert them more or less accurately. And this year it was extremely accurately because our forecast was 29.3 million hectares for Russian wheatery and the actual number was 29.4. So very, very close. While the rest of the market and many forecasters, they had like uh, 28 .6, 20, 28.7, so 0.6 million hectares below our forecast and below the actual number. And that was part of the explanation why there were so many uh, low numbers, way lower than we were forecasting. Uh, 
Another explanation, I think uh, many forecasters, they look only at Russian South, not only, but they kind of very focused on the Russian South, it's a part near uh, the Black Sea, Azov yep. Sea, and indeed it's a very important region in terms of production, around uh, 30 million tons out of uh, 80 million tons. Uh, and it's close to all experts, all uh, expert terminals, majority, the majority of expert terminals are there. It's very important. And I know, for example, some uh, large uh, multinationals who trade Russian wheat, they, they may, their business in, is in many cases mainly based on numbers from the South only in Russia. They don't look a lot at the rest of the country, which is wrong. And so this year it was very, people again were looking at South, Russian South, and this year they produce very poor crops. And actually, we, I should admit that we overestimated production for the South. We didn't expect that it would be so bad because of drought and other things. And so, but it affected, I think, the whole way of thinking about uh, whole Russia this year. While indeed it was a poor crop in, in the South of Russia, but Volga Valley and Santa. They produced uh, very, they uh, produced and still uh, harvesting very good crops uh, in line with our expectations. Yeah, and I think that's because that's interesting that point about the South, because I think I, I, I read a lot of commentators. I think some of the initial yields were 40% lower than the previous year. Yeah. And a lot of people were saying, well, if you, multiply that across the whole of Australia, eh, whole of Russia. <laughs> I said <it> again, <laughs> but you multiply it across the whole of Russia and then it looks a lot lower. Yeah. yeah but it's yeah. important to know, it's important to know how big Russia actually is. It's, it's, it's substantial even compared to, to, to Australia in terms of cropping area. And yeah. so, and so when you, you realize that like we know in, in our point of view, that even in our States, we can have a, huge variability in yield whether you yeah. drive from one part of Victoria to the yeah. to the north of Victoria so there seem to be a lot of uh, outside people people outside of that sort of expertise of looking at Russia who were trying to conflate that 50% drop in yield yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Correct. And actually, yeah, it's not been, the video has not been recorded. So at the beginning, it was very, very low compared to average compared to the previous years, minus 30%, minus 40%. And, but probably you might also remember that we're telling people that uh, early yields would be very misleading this year because of south, because poor, uh, because of um, weather problems we had this year. And it led to the fact that early planted uh, fields suffered more than other fields because it was only mm, drought. So all, all, we also had some frosts, and that frost damaged only crops uh, relatively early, uh, only relatively early planted wheat, and that's it. They didn't affect uh, other wheat. So it was very, very misleading, and we were saying that don't pay too much attention to those starting yields. So uh, typically in Russia, Yields start, I don't remember, probably from around five tons per hectare goes down, down, down all, uh, all the harvesting campaign. But this year it was very different. It started relatively low, around three tons per hectare. And then it went up, 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 till probably 50, 
of uh, the harvest of the area of the harvested area and then started to decline after that and that is very very uncommon but it's mm. uh, what what we see this here very good yields in line with our expectation in uh, central russia central black coast to be more precise and the volga valley that that would have called a lot of people off guard that that change from production yeah. uh, yields rising rather than declining so another question then a lot of that southern area like i'm relatively ignorant when it comes to russian grains and exports but a lot of that southern area is close to the export terminals and a lot of this grain which is in the, like what you said the, the volga and the urals yeah. is, yeah. is has to travel a lot further for export uh, is that going to be an issue logistically when winter comes or uh, so if we so if we talk about experts they could be uh, several bottlenecks uh, expert terminals are one of them and actually I don't know when you will going to release that actually just a few days ago Novorossiysk that's the largest uh, green terminal green uh, port with several terminals they they uh, stopped uh, to accept new uh, green rail cars because they have a, a glut over there to much rail cars and it's happening from time to time there is a huge uh, flow of green uh, so we, we see that now and that one bottleneck uh, another could be yes weather for example uh, when we have storms they typically could come around uh, late uh, late autumn or winter. A winter itself, uh, for example, uh, as of sea, which is very important, uh, it could be frozen, follow it, but you can use an icebreaker to pass the ships, but it slows everything and it's become more expensive. Yep. So it also could be an issue. <clears throat> and, uh, so, but Actually, uh, typically it's related to terminals and things around those terminals. So, so, um, so, so hopefully all should be well. Uh, yeah, but it's already, we, uh, again, in line with our expectation, the start of this campaign, the uh, green season starts here in July. The start was relatively sluggish, 2.2 uh, million tons of wheat in July that was pretty low compared to the whole crop and total uh, supply. But then things began to accelerate fast uh, since uh, since second half of July, uh, second half of August. Uh, and right now we see actually export pace very close to record or it could be a record high, at least if you look at uh, recent weeks. And when this happens, uh, we started we started to see some problems with rail cars or perhaps with too much trucks around ports. So yes, but it's it's not not really a big deal. It's just means that that volume should be shipped a little bit later. So yeah, that's that's good. In terms of in recent years, there's been a lot of investment from 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 different overseas companies buying ports etc have yeah. you seen a lot of investment in that 
upcountry infrastructure, you know, storage sites, rail, that type of thing? So um, not really, not much investments in land. And, and we have some clients, we advise, uh, we do consulting projects, helping people to understand if it makes sense to invest in a particular story or not. So, uh, and typically we don't advise people to invest in new elevators and new silos. It's too expensive and it's kind of not a good business, honestly. Uh, so no, there is not much investment in land, at least big projects. Farmers, if you look at farms, at particular farms, uh, individual farms, all of them, majority of them have been invested heavily in storage. It's relatively cheap. No, no, no expensive beans, but just some sheds, but you can store your grain for half year with no problems. And it's very, very cheap. And no. that gave a lot of leverage to, to farmers. And it, it, it was happening everywhere in recent 10, 20 years. And that, that's, it, that's exactly yeah. what we're seeing in Australia as well, is there's uh, more, more and more investment in on-farm storage as opposed uh, to sending your grain to the local silo. So that's, yeah. that's replicated over here as well. Yeah. So we have some people are starting to use bags, but not actually as widespread. It's not such widespread practice. Uh, uh, but if we talk about large um, investments, no. If we talk about terminals, indeed, there were a lot, rel relatively actually, not that much, relatively a lot of investments. For example, I think Ukraine, our neighbor, invested way more compared to Russia and uh, infrastructure is uh, bigger in terms of volumes compared to Russia. Uh, the uh, issue is, but at the same time, still I think that's a very good investment. For example, fobbing cost, transshipment cost right now in Russia around $16 per ton, and that's a lot of money. I don't know, by the way, what other fobbing costs are in Australia, but in the USA around few euros per ton or you know, five euros five dollars per ton maximum in the US way below that a few dollars per ton probably in the Gulf. In Russia it's fifteen, sixteen dollars per ton. And right now they're raising their rates in Novorossiysk uh, by three, four dollars per ton to around nineteen dollars per ton, eighteen, nineteen dollars per ton. That's a lot of money and but but at the same time there are not so much investment going in Russia because obviously Russia is not the uh, let's say politely not the most popular place to invest in because of all the risk associated with the country. But it, it, it's expanding gradually, not really that fast as it, as it could. But, uh, and it's, I think it's very, uh, still a very good business. If we talk about uh, green infrastructure, I think it's went from roughly you know, from 10 tons 20 years ago. Now with the total capacity, nominal capacity, I think around more than 60 tons, but it's still, it's normal capacity. It still could be and should be way higher. So we would have, would have way lower um, shipment costs. And again, it's mainly Russian guys, Russian guys, Russian firms, or not so many foreign investments, I think. So probably now we have only Glencore owning half of if we talk about uh, deep sea terminals, uh, Glencoe only half of one terminal and Cargill 
they have a uh, 25%, I think, in uh, one of Norway Cisco terminals. And some guys, they have small, relatively small terminals in Azov C, but um, it's not really a big deal. So Andre, you, you mentioned before about the, you saying that you're expecting potentially a record season as well this year for exports and, and, and expecting exports to expand further uh, um, you know, as you go through the season. Is the, is the growth in that um, export side, has it been from uh, increasing demand from, from customers you've had in the past as a, as a destination point for your, for your grains or is it, are you noticing that over the years that there's been an expansion of actually new, new destination points or new customers coming on board? Is the marketplace for Russian wheat exports um, expanding to new areas? Uh, so, uh, if we talk about, so uh, when I said about record exports, I mean, I meant uh, just uh, next few months. So, I think we could see new monthly uh, records, uh, records uh, this season, for example, in uh, September, probably October. I think we, for the first time, Russia could export more than 5 million tons of wheat per month which would be a record. But if, it, if you look at the whole season, uh, it's obviously not going to be a record compared to 1718, uh, when it was the biggest uh, wheat crop. Uh, so 1718, uh, we exported f around 41 million tons of wheat. This season is going to be the highest number, uh, highest second number around our late estimate, I think 30, 37.4 something like that. So it's not uh, uh, the record one, it's the second one. Uh, if, we, about, if we talk about demand and competition, I think it's relatively good year for Russia's export and also another bad year, a good year for Russian farmers. We see some decline in production in Ukraine, which is an important competitor for Russia. And we see a huge decrease in production in the EU, which is number one competitor, and especially France. So uh, uh, that's why exports are running pretty well. Destinations remain more or less the same. So it's uh, Turkey, Egypt, uh, and uh, third number, number three, it's Bangladesh. Uh, and also, if we we'll talk about the whole season, a lot will depend about that on Australian crop because Southeastern Asia became a pretty important destinations, destination in recent years. And uh, for second half of the year, uh, half of the season, starting from January and probably later, I think we would see a very tough competition. We could see a very tough competition between Australia and Russia in Southeastern Asia, Indonesia, for example, which is also a big destination for Russia. I, I don't remember if you sell anything to Bangladesh, uh, but uh, the whole, I think, competition going to be pretty tough. And that also, so that also would limit uh, Russian exports. But I think we have enough markets this year, except uh, in addition to Southeastern Asia, because of, uh, first of all, because of uh, very low uh, French crop. Yeah. So we'll probably come close to the end, Andre. In terms okay. of the next five years or so, what do you think is the biggest challenge for for rushing wheat industry? Uh, so I think there are probably two biggest challenges. One is climate and weather. 
as I mentioned earlier, I think um, uh, so far uh, uh, climate changes were beneficial for Russian agriculture, but uh, uh, and they also said that. Uh, about Australia, but I think medium term in that five years, that's medium term. I think that could start to change. And I think it's very important to keep an eye on because it was good, mild winters, but now I think it's kind of, now it could be becoming too hot. Too many droughts, not enough moisture uh, in south of Russia, first of all, it's, it's south. Uh, and uh, it's, uh, I haven't read and haven't really mm, investigated this um, research, a lot of this, but just from, I remember recent years relatively well. In recent several years, we had, uh, contrary to the previous one, we had very dry, uh, very dry autumn, relatively dry autumn and dry spring. Uh, sorry, uh, dry spring, dry autumn, and dry winter. And again, and that that's why actually we had such bad crop in the south uh, this year. And uh, again, it's, it, it was at least two years in a row. And again, it's happening this year again. We are, right now we're having a very dry weather in south of Russia and also actually center of Russia. And now we're already planting the new crop and it's been planted in uh, dry soil, which is obviously not good. Hopefully there is still a, a lot of time, at least a month, I think, to get that precipitation. But again, it's very close to what we saw in previous uh, two years at last. Yep. And I, I think potentially, and sooner or later, just if things will go like they're going, sooner or later, we will have problems in South and they Begin pretty common, uh, more droughts uh, and uh, lower crops. And south again is a major producer region. At the same time, I think it's probably it's related to the fact I'm concerned about very concerned about low level of um, uh, relatively low level of agricultural science. Let's put it that way. So uh, my point is our main crop is wheat. So the rest of, of, of the world main two major crops, obviously it's beans and corn and a lot of investment has been made in new beans and corn varieties because biotech yep. crops. In Russia, so and not many investments have been made worldwide in wheat. So it's lagging and you see in long term, if you look at long term uh, trends of yields for wheat and corn, for example, you see just with going like this, yeah. <laughs> it's going like this because of those huge investments and which are not going in wheat because there is no jam wheat. Now there are some biotech uh, CRISPR wheat varieties being developed, but it's niche. It's not what we need. And so my point is, when we'll have a problem, it will be hard to address that problem, for example, to produce new uh, drought-resistant varieties for Russian south. And I think we'll, we could see uh, some droughts in five or 10 years, my, way more frequent droughts in south of Russia. And also, uh, Russia, similar to the EU and Ukraine, uh, planting of uh, biotech crops is still prohibited here. So there is no intensive for 
researchers to invest in any biotech crops and I think that's a very big problem so uh, to bottom line, uh, climate plus potential problems with varieties, I think that's number one problem. If you talk about which are probably two things which are quite intrinsically yeah. linked to one another. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and, uh, and sorry, and the second, you, if you want me to be uh, brief, I will try to be brief. And the second no, problem, good. probably even the bigger one, is the regulation. It's becoming more complex, it's becoming less predictable, as probably if you trade wheat, you know that well, how many uh, news from Russia which is more in the markets in, I know, Chicago limit up, Chicago limit down. That's good for us, honestly, because we help clients to understand what's really happening here and don't lose their money after such news. But for the market, for experts, for farmers, more regulation, uh, it's always bad and in case of Russia, it's very unpredictable, it's complex, and it's also a big threat to, to medium-term uh, production uh, outlook. I think that, that unpredictability, it's, it is quite interesting because we've seen in the past news organizations, uh, I guess, at some points in the past couple of years, mistranslating uh, yeah. press releases from from the ministry and then the market reacts to uh, to to what has been mentioned on reuters or or bloomberg yeah and um, i think so bloomberg and the misinterpretation <laughs> of it was actually ukraine that time but they said it was the we quarter it was a typical story they do that every year beginning of the every year but the, it, the headline was saying like ukraine is banning wheat experts right now and the chicago went limits up yeah and, and and I guess that's the thing. We, we live in an increasingly unpredictable world with with yeah. COVID and and everything else. And I guess that doesn't really doesn't really help too much when there's mistranslations of uh, of articles. Because I think, and this has not really got much to do with it, but a lot of these news organisations they want to be the first. Yeah. And it's probably not there's being first and there's being accurate and you need to yeah. find a middle ground. So, so yeah. Andre, like, I just want to say thanks for, for taking the time out of your day to, to come along. Uh, like we've been, a, we've been a fan of yours for, for a while and we, we, we love your charts. Your, your charts are clearly quite popular in, in, in Australia as, as you may well know uh, yeah. from, from recent experiences. Yeah. Uh, so to any of our listeners, uh, we recommend you, you, you definitely follow Andre or Sizov underscore Andre on, on Twitter. Yeah. yeah, or just check our site. It's pretty simple. S-I-Z-O-V.report. That's Absolutely. our website and our service. And you can read about our service and get a free trial there. That's great. And, and again, thanks, thanks for coming along. Oh, actually, it's been really good to actually listen to, you know, someone talk about the Russian crop who actually uh, is embedded in the crop and uh, isn't somebody spectating from the outside. So thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Andre. Cheers, Great. mate.